What a great verse. That last one, we see it up on the screen here. They're all good. But that, that last one, I just want to maybe dwell on and get you to think about that. We, we need to own this. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not who we are. But to those who have faith and are saved. That is who we are. Verse 39 it comes, gives way to chapter 11, with the, which is the great faith chapter in the Bible. And so that's how that great faith chapter is introduced. We're not destroyed. We're people of faith and we are saved. And as that people of God, we pray and we trust in God and we trust in his goodness and we are saved by grace through faith. Let's, uh, let's take a few moments to pray. And we've been encouraged once again by Stuart to pray for the senior past, uh, pastor search com committee and process. Let's also remember we're praying for Ukraine, for Russia, for peace. And we also want to just again, as we've heard a report from Kids Club, 90 children, if I heard that number right, 90 children said, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And about half the kids who came said that. What we want to do is pray for those children and pray that they would indeed be lifelong followers of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently right where you are. and Bring before the Lord your own personal needs, your personal praise, your adoration, and then allow me to lead you in prayer. Father, we want to recognize as we have said it, as we have sung it, you are awesome in all your ways. You are God above all. You are the God who saves and the God who sent Christ into the world to save sinners like us. And so, Lord, we confess our sins even now. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. We need the hope that you can alone give. Father, we also want to intercede on behalf of others. We pray for our world. We pray for this nation and we pray for our political leaders and those who make decisions that you would give them wisdom, that they would make godly decisions on behalf of our nation. For those in positions of influence, whether teachers, pastors, business leaders, I pray that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Father, for our world, we are asking once again, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for peace in Ukraine. We pray once again that the nuclear weapons that have been threatened would not be used. Father, we pray once again for your grace for this church and for our future. And we thank you that you loved us. And you have a great plan for us, and we just want to seek after that plan. So we persevere, and we pray, and we are patient, but we are your people. And so, Lord, I do pray that you'd bless the committee. And Father, we pray that you would identify that, that person that you have in mind. And we pray that you would bring him to us soon. Father, we also pray, and just want to remember the, the just an amazing week of kids' love. Thank you for over 100 volunteers who served and made it possible. Thank you for all the children who came and the families represented. And we praise you especially for all those children that 
said, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and I do pray even now that each one of those children would follow him and be known as a follower of Christ. And we will not shrink back. We are not like those who are destroyed. But we have faith in Christ, and we are saved. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been on studying the life of Elisha, and we're going to come to the end of his life in this passage, and you'll see this will be the end of his life. For me, it's been one of those things where I get to feel like you almost become friends with this guy who lived so long ago, and and you get to understand him a little bit better. But now he's an old man, and, and the passage is going to tell us he's about to die, and he's going to have one more important message for you and me in the modern world. Now, let me begin by talking about serious faith. And I had a friend, I went to Dallas Seminary, I was there in the 80s. I had a friend who was there earlier than me, and he lived in married students' housing. In those days, it wasn't a nice place to live, and Dallas would get extremely hot during the summer. But he just told his wife, they were there in the wintertime, he just said, we need an air conditioner, but let's not tell anybody, let's just pray about it but we won't inform anybody. So they pray throughout the winter, they pray throughout the spring, and summer's on its way, and they go home to their hometown, and they're still not telling anyone. And someone calls them up and says, hey, I've got an, an air conditioning unit, a pretty new one, almost brand new. Could you use it? And of course, he uses it, puts it in the unit, it's one of those window things, and they're blessed. Now, here's the thing. I think that story is absolutely true. I have no doubt about it. I just don't know what to do with that. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. If I were taking my wife back to Dallas, Texas, and I said to her, we don't have any air conditioning, but we're just going to pray about it, I'm not sure how that's going to go over with her or with me. And I'm still wondering, what do I do with that story? What I want to talk about is everyday faith. Now, some of you may say, we're really not that spiritual. But by the way, That story happened decades and decades ago, and we still talk about it because it's extraordinary. And I'm not saying God doesn't do that. But how do we deal with everyday faith? Now, when I was growing up, and again, I believe these stories to be absolutely true, I would hear stories of George Mueller. And George Mueller had an orphanage in England. I think we might have a a picture of him. There he is. And so he's dealing in the 1800s in England with an orphanage. And he's a great man of faith, and we still have written record of of some of the things that happened in his life. And when I was a child, I would hear stories about George Mueller. These happened hundreds of years ago. I mean, for me, it was about 150 years ago as these stories happened. We're still telling them. And then there was the, the great Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Mission. And he had these great stories of faith. And, and again, he was born in 1832, so we're still telling those stories a hundred years later about his acts of faith. I'm not saying they didn't happen. I'm talking about everyday faith. How am I supposed to live faithfully before God? How would I take it faithfully? And so there's what I'm going to call air conditioner faith, air con faith, and then everyday faith. So if you want that extraordinary, write it in a book faith, then I'm not talking about that right now. What I want to talk about is how you and I are called to live daily in faith, not shrinking back, but in faith. 
Are you with me on that? You understand where I'm going? Okay, good. And I realize you think I'm not all that spiritual because I'm not George Mueller or uh, Hudson Taylor or the guy, and I wasn't the guy with the air conditioner, by the way, so it was somebody else. But I want to look at Elisha. And turn with me to Elisha chapter, Second uh, Kings chapter 13, beginning verse 14. And we're going to see something at the very beginning, what we see where Elisha is. And again, great prophet of God. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from the word of God. Beginning verse 14. Now Elisha had been suffering from an illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My, my father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the victory, uh, arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them, and Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. And so we come to the end of his life. You may be seated. One more story of faith. One more story that's going to help us take God seriously. One more story that's going to help us in my opinion, with everyday faith. And you may look at this story and say, how's this everyday faith? And we'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. Here's the first point. Our greatest strength is our dependence upon God. And just that first verse, verse 14, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he would die. And, and again, let's, let's just be honest. This is the word of God. Even people who follow the living God, followers of Christ, get sick and die. That happens. There's not, that's just part of life. It's life and death. But then the king says to Elisha, knowing that he's in this weakened state, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. What does he mean by that? I take it that what he means is this, that the national defense, the security of Israel is in the word of God, the prophet who speaks the word of God that God is that divine warrior. The strength of the nation is dependent upon God. And Elisha, who represented the word of God, is now dying. In the context, the Israelites in the northern kingdom have once again strayed away from following God. God allows the Arameans to oppress Israel, and the military has become extremely weak. I'm going to read from verse 7. Of the, uh, of the same chapter, I'm sorry, earlier on in the, um, in the passage, verse 7, nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen. So this is the whole army of Israel, 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram had defeated the rest and made them like dust at threshing time. So this is what happened during the time of his father, but we recognize 
there was a depleted army in Israel. So you have the prophet who is weak and old and sick and dying. And then you have this army of Israel, and, and they're, they're hardly anything. They're really not much. And the king rightly declares the strength in the nation is in the prophet, is in the word of God. What I'm pointing out is this. Our greatest strength is when we depend upon God. One of the great stories we know in the Old Testament is that story of David and Goliath. Now, I don't need to tell you who wins. There's no spoiler alert there. But I'm telling you, on that day when David goes against the champion Philistine, and he's dressed in full armor, he is a champion, and he's fought men again and again, and he always wins. So he's more than happy to threaten anybody in the nation of Israel, send out your champion. Now, I just see this on TV every once in a while in Australia. You know, you can do the sports betting and so forth. I guarantee you all the money's going to be on Goliath, right? That's where it is. So we all know the outcome, but the fact is David is just a lad. He's a shepherd boy. He has no armor, and he just comes out there with a slingshot and some stones. And Goliath taunts him. He feels like he's being mocked. Why would you even send a child out, a little boy, this lad, to face this great champion, Goliath? But here's the point. David speaks, and he's dependent upon God. And we recognize this. The greatest strength that we have is our dependence upon God. As soon as we think it's in me or in you or in us or in our military, that's when we are at our weakest What does that mean to us? In our world, we've been praying for peace in Ukraine. We have been praying that nuclear weapons are not used, but our strength is in our dependence upon God. For Subi Church, we're talking about our future and what God has for us. Our strength, you need to know, is in our dependence upon God. When you think about your own personal future, and for many of us, we can make plans, but We recognize those plans are just that, plans. But when we think about our personal future, what we recognize is our strength is our dependence upon God. It doesn't change. The king is right in this. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel, if you want to know where the strength of our nation is, if you want to know where the strength of our church is, if you want to know where our strength is, it's in the word of God. Here's the second point. Victory in life only comes through faith. So we hear the story, and he tells the king to take a bow and arrow, obviously a a weapon, and Elisha is going to put his hands on the king's hand, and and in that, that sense it represents that conveyance of grace. The prophet is going to identify himself with the actions of the king. And so they open the east window, and he says, I want you to shoot, and they shoot towards the east. So let me just give you an image of that, and so you can use that image in your own mind. But here is a sickened prophet, and then the king, and the prophet puts his hand on the hands of the kings and identifies with this action, and he shoots. Jehoash shoots. And he says, the prophet says, the Lord's arrow of victory. The Lord will fight for you. You will have a victory 
over the Arameans at Aphek. So that's what that represents. So let's just stop there. But what I want to do is think about faith now. Because that's just an arrow that's been shot out of a window. But here's faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Again, now we're in that great faith chapter of the Bible. Beginning verse 31. And we start and we find an interesting person in this faith chapter who is Rahab. And she is identified, just again, she's identified as the prostitute. But I want you to notice the great act of faith that she did that got her in the, the faith chapter of the Bible. So look at it, and we'll continue on. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, the Israeli spies, the Jewish spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. All she did was welcome God's people, and she obeyed. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. Notice these accomplishments. Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, here's the phrase, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. You want to know about victory. It is through faith is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, whose weakness was turned to strength. In the Christian life, our weakness, our weakness, Christ's strength, right? Again, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Another great passage, and here we have the, the great man of faith, the great apostle, the apostle Paul. And, and he, as you know, has this thorn in the flesh, and he's going to wrestle with it. He's going to struggle with it. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 7. Or because of these unsurpassingly great revelations, these are things that God showed him, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that amazing? We have a weakened prophet, a weakened king, a weakened military, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we recognize, as we've talked about it, we have a big God and we are big Godders. And yet we live in a world that does not recognize that awesome God. And when we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, most of the time people don't applaud our faith. And yet, even in that context, if we are insulted, when we are insulted, we rest on Christ's strength. And even in our weakness, he is made powerful. That's when, perhaps when, our witness is the strongest. How do we handle those criticisms, those insults? Let me just ask you personally, what, do, in you, what areas in your life do you want victory? And so you may be thinking, 
Well, I, I want victory as, I, as I'm anxious about the future. I want victory as I'm concerned for medical care for myself or another. I want victory as I think about the obstacles that are before me. I want victory over a sin that plagues me. And we recognize weakness. And that's when we recognize our strength is in God and in his word. Let me just give you one more thought. Third point. No faith, no victory. That, that should be clear. In verses 18 and 19, what's going on here is this. We, we see that the, the prophet now says, and I'm going to read this again, take the arrows and the king took them, and Elisha said, strike the ground, and he struck, struck it three times and stopped. Now, what happened here? Now, some commentators are going to say that at one point, remember, the king shoots an arrow, releases it, and that's an arrow of victory over Aphak. You will, you will win over the Arameans, and again, uh, which we're looking at maybe modern-day uh, Syria, Damascus area. You'll win a victory over that nation. And then they would say he, the, he was to take the arrows and to strike the ground, hit the ground. What I want to say, and I, I think this is the correct interpretation based upon a Hebrew interpretation, Hebrew scholars will tell you the word is not floor. There is a word for floor. The word is ground. The ground is, you know, we are on the ground floor, but the, this is floor. Outside is the ground. And so by, when you use that word strike of an arrow, it is the same as shoot. Shoot an arrow and hit the ground. So in other words, he's saying repeat the same thing. I want you to keep, I've already told you, when you shot that arrow, that was an arrow of victory. You got it? You shot the arrow and I declared that's an arrow of victory, a defeat at a particular place over your enemies. Now, shoot more arrows. And he shoots three. And the text is very clear. It says he shot three, he took three times, struck the ground three times with the arrows. And then it very clearly says, and he stopped. Just as clear. The shooting of the arrows was intentional and the stopping was intentional. And that's why the prophet's angry. The prophet has just said, you recognize, and I'm going to give you an image here. Again, what's going on oh, in the shooting? So once again, it's the same image. He just wants you to shoot the, the arrows. Keep shooting. I've already told you a, a, an arrow of victory. You shoot that. That's an arrow of victory. And here is what the king does. He stops shooting. He stops shooting short of total victory. And that's why Elisha is so angry. He's an old man. He's dying, but he's still angry with the king because the king has been very timid in his faith. It's as if, as one person said, God gave you a blank check, and he just says, fill in what you need, and you write half of what you need. The king was basically given a blank check. Shoot these arrows. These are arrows of victory, but instead of shooting all that he needed, he stops at three. Do you see why Elisha is so upset? What he's upset at is this. He stopped too soon. The king lacked perseverance and determination. Whatever, he lacked the faith that was necessary. I want to go to one more passage in the New Testament. 
and then get to uh, some of our application. But I want to go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to us, people who are of faith. We don't shrink back. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What did the king do? He stopped. He knew what God asked him to do. He heard the word of God. He even knew that was an error of victory whenever he shot it. But he stopped. Why would we stop serving the Lord? Why would we stop doing what God calls us to do? When he says right here, in due time, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, that's for us as individuals, families, churches. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So let's ask this question now. How do we fit into this story? Where are we going to see faith? And I, I said, what I want to do at the beginning is I'm not going to talk so much about aircon faith. I want to talk about everyday faith. And here's how I, a great way to apply everyday faith, what we are all called to apply. And I'm not just saying next year, and this is not going to be written up for the next 100 years probably, this everyday faith. So you're not going to go down with Hudson Taylor and George Mueller and Aircon faith. That's not the point. But what is everyday faith that, calls us, that God calls us to? I'm going to use uh, the story of Jesus' temptation. I'm just going to refer to it, that story that we see in the New Testament. And Jesus exercised a faith at that point in time. So there's going to be three tests, and I'm going to start them all with a B. So the first one is the bread test. Remember that? He's, uh, he's been in the wilderness He's fasted for 40 days, and Satan tempts him. He says, turn these stones into bread. So it's the bread test. You're hungry, you can make it into bread. But what does Jesus do? He responds in faith, and he says, I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Faith is not simply on the physical, but it's on the spiritual. It's that life-giving word. We'll talk about how to apply that in just a moment for you and me. And second, the bone test. So he takes them to a high place on the temple. And he says, and he quotes scripture, you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, there's not going to be a bone, bone broken there. Now, this is the bone test. But what Jesus responds is, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. In other words, you trust God, you don't test him. That's not faith. Faith is not testing God. Faith is trusting God. And now finally, the bow test. I'm sorry, the bow test. The bow. If you will bow down and worship me, Satan says, the kingdoms of the world are yours. Don't worry about the cross. Don't worry about Calvary. Don't worry about any of that. Just bow down for a moment. Bend your knee before me just for a moment and worship me. But Jesus points out, Faith worships God alone. Now, here, how do we exercise that on a daily basis? And this is where I want to come down to this, what I'm calling serious faith. Because what I'm asking you to demonstrate today, this week, serious faith. It's what God calls us to do. The first one is this. The first exercise is this. Devotion to the Word of God. We study it. 
We memorize it. We feed on it. We let it nurture us. We meditate on it, but it's the word of God. Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's an exercise of faith. The second exercise of faith is this. We trust God and don't test him. In other words, I'm not going to be one of those guys who jumps off a bridge without a parachute and says, I'll trust God to help me. That's not what I, I don't think that's what he's asking us to do. What he's asking us to do is trust him through our daily life in every situation. Trust him. We demonstrate that by prayer and faith, by not being anxious, by turning over those things before the Lord. We don't test God. We trust him. Finally, the third exercise of faith, what I'm calling serious faith, everyday faith is we put a priority on worshiping and serving God. Why did Jesus say that? Because there's nothing higher in life than this. We worship God. And we worship God not because someone pays us or not because we want something out of it. And we don't do this and say, well, I'm going to worship you, God. I'll serve you, but what do I get out of it? And I'm so thankful for all those who served at Kids Club. And none of them were saying, okay, what am I going to get out of this? No, they just serve joyfully. And we worship God joyfully. We celebrate our God because he's the one who's worthy of worship. That's what we know. And he's the one worthy of our service. And that is an act of faith when we worship God because we could be doing something else. And it's an act of faith when we serve God because we could be doing something else. But you know what? It's what you can do this week. It's what we can do this week. It's everyday faith. We worship God and serve him alone. And so we're just going to end the story of Elisha in chapter 13, verse 20. And Elisha died and was buried. But what we need to do is remember what he's taught us. He's taught us to live a life of faith. He's taught us to take God seriously, and he reminds us that we are not little godders. We are big godders. And so even in times when we feel weak, we trust in the Lord, our faith is in him, our hope is in him, and we live for him. Pray with me. Father, we want to bring before you right now those things that concern us, make us anxious, worry us. And we bring them right now before you. You are indeed an awesome God, a big God. And we just want to see clearly your strength, your power, your glory, and we want to live for you. Father, I do pray that you would help us to live these lives of faith that you have called us to live. Lord, there may be those times when we do those great acts of faith, like these great men of faith that have gone before us. But what we know we are called to do is everyday faith. So, Lord, I do pray for these dear people. 
for this church that we would be devoted to the word of God that we would teach it to our children not just in kids club or Sunday school but even in our homes that we would memorize it that we would meditate on it that we would feed on it and that's how we live devoted to your word I pray that we would trust you and when we face trials of many kinds that we would trust you and I pray that we would be people of worship that that would be our greatest priority that there is nothing greater than to worship the one who is worthy and serve him alone Lord please bless these dear people in Christ's name We're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And what we recognize when we come to the Lord's Supper is Jesus Christ, who is that focal point of our faith. And when we come as New Testament believers, as Christians, we recognize faith has an object, and that object is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there is that faith in God and in his word, but his final revelation is Jesus Christ. And then... He gives us the bread and the cup, and these are reminders of our faith. That Jesus came and he died on the cross for sinners like us. That he was buried. He was actually dead, but death could not hold him. He's victorious over sin and death. And here's our faith. And again, this is remarkable. It's extraordinary. But for those who are have faith. They are being saved. We are being saved. Here's our faith. That Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for my sins, all of them, past, present, future. Christ, who died, was buried, rose again, and he's coming again. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. What we're doing is proclaiming faith. And if this is your faith, this gospel of Jesus Christ, then partake of the Lord's Supper. It's for you. If you've never put your faith in Christ, the offer to you is very clear from Scripture. Believe. Put your hope and trust in Christ. Don't rely upon your good deeds. They won't get you there. But put your hope and faith in Christ alone. For Jesus saves. And that's our hope. If you have any questions about that, we want to tell you more and more about that because it's the greatest message we have. Until you've put your faith and trust in Christ, we'd ask that you not partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you. You're joining that great multitude of those who are being saved. Our hope is in you. Our faith is in you. We just want to thank you for sending Jesus Christ into the world. As we take the bread and the cup, we do it in humility. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the mighty Christ, in the strength of the cross of Christ, and in the power of the resurrection. For we who are weak, even dead in our transgressions and sins are saved by grace through faith. 
for that we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask as we have been doing the first five, ten rows in each section, you go ahead and stand. Those in the center can come to the center. Those on the side, go ahead and go to the side. Let me ask that you, as you take a, the bread and the cup, please hold it. We'll partake together in just a moment. Moving to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these men and women of faith who have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews encourages us once again. Focus your heart spiritual eyes on Jesus Christ our Lord follow him Jesus himself who establishes this table. It is Jesus himself who invites you right now to his table. For those who are his followers, for those people who are people of faith, we recognize the body of Christ given to us. Take in remembrance. recognize the blood of Christ shed for us, take in remembrance. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this amazing grace, this amazing salvation. What an amazing Savior we have. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to live for him this week. Christ's name.